Welcome everyone to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here today with our final Star Trek Discovery season preview before it officially pulls out of dry dock on Sunday night, September 24th, sometime after football. Indeed, Pete. And we're going to cover a whole bunch of stuff in this podcast. Here's what we're not going to discuss. Uh, the appropriateness of CBS launching its own online thing. What we're not going to discuss is uh, whether this should be taking place in the past, in the present, in the future. We're going to talk about this show that is going to get to us as they have designed it, that is taking place at, at the time that they want. And uh, Pete, let's start with the blue carpet premiere that, uh, that was quite the, uh, quite the photo op in L.A. just, uh, just a couple days ago. Yes, unfortunately, we were unable to make it. Uh, but invited. But invited. Very proud and, of that. Uh, you know, we're we're gonna see this in in the time in which we see it. Um, they are super concerned about security, hence no screeners for any media whatsoever. Um, how secret is this, Matt? Pete, it is so secret that Spoiler Pete, Spoiler Pete who has gotten download codes in the past, Spoiler Pete who has received manila envelopes, Spoiler Pete who once met in a parking garage in uh, Washington, D.C. to meet with FBI people about the presidency of Richard Milhouse Nixon, Spoiler Pete did not get an opportunity to get his hands on a uh, on-the-side on kind of uh, review copy of the episode. And Lord knows I have tried. So congratulations, CBS, at least on the front side, you've managed to do this. This despite a review embargo uh, that we have positive reaction. And normally people are given some kind of guidance. All right, here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. Um, so the people who were there were uh, were given, you know, some some guidelines within which to color. Uh, so, you know, we've, we've heard sparing complaint yet, uh, overall positive feedback about the first two episodes, both of which, uh, will be available as far as the public, uh, via the paywall of, uh, CBS all access for the second episode, um, Sunday night. And for the rest of you listening in the entire rest of the world outside the United States and Canada, you will get the episode Monday the 25th. Our podcast will already be there. In fact, Pete, the recently renamed official after show, which was going to be called Talking Trek, but apparently the people in the, uh, the, the, the AMC world didn't like it because they, they have a claim on the word talking. It's now going to be called mm -hmm. After Trek. It's going to be hitting... Uh, CBS All Access at 11 p.m. Eastern. That means that our podcast will probably be up before they even start to officially digest the first episode. So it, this is an exciting time, Pete. It really, really is. It is. And, you know, had they made a more informed decision, we might be hosting that. But I get it. I understand. And uh, you get this for free. So look at it this way. Pay for the pay for the Star Trek. Jump on for us. Uh, for free afterward we'll be there waiting for you 
Pete, let's do a rundown of the cast, starting <laughs> for the first time ever, not with a captain, starting with Michael Burnham, played by Sonequa Martin-Green. Uh, we certainly have uh, been singing her praises before. I think since the last time we really dug deep into Star Trek Discovery, two bits of information have come out about the uh, the character's first name, Pete. Tell us about the uh, the, the, the behind-the-scenes tradition amongst uh, amongst the writers. Well, Aaron Harberts, who is one of our two uh, showrunners, and he has worked with um, producer uh, Brian Fuller for some time. They have had a tradition on several shows that they've worked on of naming uh, women with uh, male names. Uh, So you'd like to think. And I know we were hoping there'd be some kind of story dependent reason. Um, and per Aaron Harberts himself, it is a name and they like to give women male names. Well, Pete, I have a little second bit of info. Maybe maybe hashtag spoiler Matt really is a thing. Uh, apparently one bit of information that Sonequa Martin-Green shared on the blue carpet was that the character is named for her father. I, I, I like that, and, and I think she went on to say, you know, it just shows that in the future you can have whatever kind of name you want. Um, I like that. I wish that they hadn't played coy with both facts, the behind-the-scenes thing of, oh, it's a continuing kind of writer-producer tradition and the in-show reason she's named for her father and in the 23rd century, who cares? Boy name, girl name, whatever. I just kind of wish they weren't... I wish that they had not played coy with that because I'm cool with it. I mean, heck, Pete, let me ask you this, talking about popular names. uh, Have you seen the 1980s movie Splash? The Tom Hanks, Daryl, Hannah, uh, Opus... Uh, with John Candy, no less, as Tom Hanks's brother, you know better than to ask that question. Pete, in that movie, you might recall there's a scene where she doesn't have a name because it can't be said outside the water. And uh, through a series of uh, comic, uh, oh, I'm going to reference a street, and oh, I want that to be my name, she names herself Madison. That is the genesis of that being a female name period. That is where, you know, the next year it started to to uh, track as a popular name and has gone up from there. It is the source. Point being, I don't care. Michael Burnham, named for the father, named for, because there's a behind the scenes uh, ongoing thing of naming female characters after male names or whatever it might be. Bring it on. Lieutenant Commander Michael Burnham, played by Sonika Martin-Green. I got no problem with it. It sounds like there's going to be an awful lot of female Michaels in our future. Um, Whether you watched her on The Walking Dead as Sasha or you are new to this actress in uh, Sinequa Martin-Green, it's the one they wanted for this role uh, all along. Uh, Brian Fuller really fought for her. And uh, this show is squarely about her from everything we're hearing out of the premiere, from all the feedback, and she nails it. I mean, she has only continued to shine through some of this carefully carefully presented press stuff. And uh, I continue to think back. I know we've referenced it in prior episodes, but that one video made for Entertainment Weekly where – she shows a certain kind of fire uh, while mm-hmm. she's choosing her words carefully about about some of the the Star Trek supposed fans who are upset that there is a black woman 
at the top of this show. Uh, I say bring that fire too. Come on, it's 2017. It's time to uh, time to not just uh, knock down some walls, but punch through them. So bring it on. And what she was given to work with on The Walking Dead, not being a comic character, um, and and some you know for a dark show, some very dark stuff. The character lost the uh, comic. Uh, character uh who happened to be her brother she was created for the tv show and uh she was suicidal for a time and then she you know was able to work through that and a really really strong heady female presence which if if that's not star trek i don't know what is well, certainly continuing with that uh, sentiment, we have Michelle Yao as Captain Philippa Georgiou. So again, right at the top, we have these two fantastic women. Uh, I think if you if you make some inferences about where the story is headed, I don't know how long we're going to have Captain Georgiou before uh, things move to the USS Discovery proper. Uh, I almost wonder, Pete, is there some kind of Janet Lee thing going on where, oh my goodness, I can't believe they just did that in episode one or two or five or ten. But as things stand right now, she's, uh, you know, she's the top brass as the story starts. The parallels are very obvious with the, the psycho situation. Um, look at it this way. We have an honest to goodness international female film star in the captain seat and albeit it's not her story, but this is an enormous actress. This might be the biggest actor actress put into the chair on one of these shows for the first time. I, I Pete, I would go so far as to say that is that is unquestionably the case. I mean, William Shatner's resume prior to Star Trek. Okay, some Twilight Zone. Uh, I, I know making the rounds on the internet just in the last week has been the uh, a newspaper clipping of the forthcoming disaster for Star Trek The Next Generation, yep. including the unknown British stage actor, uh, right? Patrick Stewart. <laughs> uh, Kate Mulgrew obviously had some uh, some heft to her. I mean, Pete, it's Mrs. Columbo. Everybody remembers that, movie, uh, that, that, that show, right? Right. Um, Certainly. I mean, you might make the argument, Pete, that that Avery Brooks, though not a captain at the start of uh, Deep Space Nine, he might have been the most famous person to to become a captain, maybe even tied with uh, Scott Bakula, given his quantum leap past. Yeah, I, I don't think any of them lines up the international film star and draw resume of uh, Miss Yao there, who has handled this with a ton of grace and, um, you know, was a huge name at the, the time of the announcement. We've been chewing over these these cast announcement announcements for so long to finally get to see them in full-on contextual action in the show is is going to be something to behold. I, I just feel, Pete, like, I, I don't know, there's anticipation for this like I have not felt in a long, long time. As we go down this cast list here, must mention the the super hardworking Doug Jones as Lieutenant Saru. I mean, everybody has seen Doug Jones in action, I dare say, though few might know his face. Yeah. And uh, having seen him in Hellboy and uh, he was the character of Cochise on uh, Falling Skies. And 
you know, there's Andy Circus, who is your stop motion film guy. If there's a a one a, a to his one, it's Doug Jones. If anything, I mean, Doug Jones has a degree of uh, of, of critical cred that. All due respect to Andy Serkis, Andy Serkis does not. Um, I think of Pan's Labyrinth, or as I like to say, El Labertino Delfano. Um, I mean, a movie that that was just critically beloved and and is excellent. Nominated for three Academy Awards, he playing the uh, the, the the fawn in it. Um, I, I mean, this is a guy who who has not just done creatures, not just done ooey gooey, and not just done thrilling, but somebody who knows how to act. In, in, in a critical movie while wearing all this makeup. I'm super excited to see him be able to, you know, originate this, this new character, this Kelpian um, that just looks so different from anything we've seen before in, in the decision they even made with the, with the legs, with the feet. Um, and I was thinking about it the other day. I, I hope there's a, there's an episode, you know, whether it's, it's levity or whether it's a situation he's got to get out of the boots or whatever that we get to see the feet. Um, and, and that there's a, a prosthetic there, but you know, he, he literally buries himself in him himself in these roles. And, um, the moment he was announced, I was just like, this is excellent. This, this is a great get for star Trek. Add to it, uh, Jason Isaacs as captain Gabriel Lorca, uh, somebody who, Pete, I know you're not quite the Harry Potter fan, but somebody who I think a lot of people uh, are expecting him to be a good guy turned bad or kind of suspicious of of Captain Lorca's, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, intentions and whatnot. Maybe that plays into uh, Isaac's, uh, I don't want to quite say typecasting, but I think he's well known as a baddie even outside Harry Potter. But I, I go mean, back I, to the Patriot. Um, for my money, he's one of the top two or three film villains um, of the last 25 years. Uh, just really, really uh, somebody you, you feared. And um, this this two ship situation, we've we've never seen this at the beginning of a series, but this is a series that while it promises to renew so many of the things we love about Star Trek, it's, it's also trying to reach bigger sooner. Um, so, you know, we know nothing about how we're going to go from the, uh, Shangshu to the discovery. Will they be alongside, uh, one another? Will, you know, the Shangshu get destroyed and the, the crew migrate, to the discovery, we don't know anything. Um, so they've they've really kept an excellent lid on this. And whatever uh, Lorca uh, and Isaacs is going to breathe into him, um, you know it's going to be worth watching. Some of the elements of Star Trek: The Next Generation that have aged poorest. Uh, I dare say are, you know, it, it, it's kind of stuck in this 80s, 90s aesthetic, as it rightfully should be since it was made then, but, you know, everything resets at the end. And some of the great episodes that stand out from that, you know, the Best of Both Worlds 1 and 2, Family, uh, those as a trilogy, oh my goodness, things actually continue on. Um, 
so some of those some of those times where the characters grow outside the end of the episode, those are the episodes that mean the most. The notion that we are starting Star Trek Discovery on one ship, is it the first hour? Is it the second hour? Is it halfway through the season? We have no idea when we're going to experience loss of characters that we're growing to love. And I kind of like that there's that edginess. We're always used to, you you start with the bridge, you start with the, the new crew, you get to know them. You know, the... These are these are dangerous times, so let's kind of have our have our guard up a little bit as to where we are headed. Yeah, and and that's the thing they have been upfront about this is there will be loss. Um, that you know, again, Game of Thrones. <laughs> don't get attached to anybody. Don't don't love anybody that they can't go away, and they go away. Um, and yeah, if you were going to take some odds here. I'm willing to bet some of the bigger, more established ones are going to make that sacrifice and make way for our our second tier to really coalesce uh, as a crew or crews. Well, Pete, speaking of some of these uh, supposed second tier characters that give us an opportunity to uh, you know to get them to know better, next we have Anthony Rapp who plays Lieutenant Stamets and. Uh, Anthony Rapp is somebody who I think has shown an exuberance online uh, beyond, you know, hey, CBS would like you to show your Vulcan salute or, you know, hey, can you send out a thing? You know, he seems to just be, you know, this this guy who has done film, who's done TV, who's done stage, an actor's actor who now in a certain level of fame and fortune to whatever degree he values that or whatever, he's he's made it big. Um, and can can play a, a rather groundbreaking character for Star Trek. He is embracing it, and then some. Yeah, uh, I cannot say enough about um, you know how, in particular, Anthony Rapp has embraced this show and this fandom, going so far, Matt, as to um, join the Star Trek. Uh, discovery unofficial uh, fan thread on Facebook and then post a heartfelt message about what it meant for the premiere the other night and how excited he is genuinely excited not in a in a film sense like oh, I'm really excited that you watch our stuff yeah um, but how excited he is for that to happen um, particularly as the character he's he's going to play as an openly gay um, officer scientist aboard this ship, um, and while we had Sulu and and he was uh, you know given the not even a, a subplot he was he was given a, a gay implication um, in. Uh, Star Trek Beyond and, you know, a husband and, and a child. Um, we've never explored it at this level. And I, I was reading an article where Aaron Harberts was talking about that as a gay man and, and what that means for him to be able to uh, include that and to be able to write to that. And indeed, he said that uh, he thinks Stamets, um, you know, carries his voice across There's a little bit of, of sass and attitude. But at the same time, somebody who's, you know, out there for the exploration and, and the betterment of mankind. 
I remember sometime early 90s seeing on Entertainment Tonight that there was going to be a, a, a special episode of Picket Fences, for people who remember that show that ran for four seasons on CBS. Uh, and there was going to be a, a same-sex kiss, and they filmed it that way, but then the network kind of placed some pressure. So what they did is they cut to outside the house and the turning off of a light with the sound of a kiss, because that was a little bit more palatable. How far we've come where... Hey, Anthony Rapp is playing Lieutenant Stamets, who has a husband on board. Okay, you know. Do we know it's a husband or just that they're a couple? I've not seen that they're they're married. Not as if it matters, but again, it, it's it's such a thing. It, it's been such a discussion for so long. You know, why hasn't there been um, a gay character openly on Star Trek uh, that that's not a guest of the week you go back to the to the dax episode on deep space nine where you know the previous host and and everything there but it, it had been a heterosexual relationship and then uh dax consciousness you know the symbiote obviously transferred to a woman in jadzia so you know for for a, a groundbreaking franchise that's been on for 51 years to, to go there and not to go there to go there, but to go there with real story intent, I think is, is special. And it really seems like Anthony Rapp is, you know, just so overjoyed to, to be the one to break that barrier. Particularly, I mean, you look at Star Trek's history there where it's always been, it's been sci-fi homosexuality. The Dax episode that you referenced, the Next Generation episode where they come across the genderless people who then occasionally some of those, a small minority, perhaps Pete, anywhere between 2 and 5% who develop gendered feelings. And it's like, yeah, it's about, it's, it's about time. Let's just have homosexual characters going about going about their business as officers on the on the ship and you know it's it's overdue but certainly welcome next on the crew list pete we have lieutenant tyler played by shazad latif uh shazad latif of course a veteran of british tv uh whether you want to talk about spooks whether you want to talk about things on this uh side of the atlantic penny dreadful he played uh, dr jekyll and uh now uh, now playing lieutenant ash tyler in star trek discovery Correct me if I am wrong. Was this the actor who was first announced as a uh, Klingon character and then they changed it? You know what? I do think that that's the case, um, which <laughs> probably came at a time where not a lot of information was going out other than everything is falling apart. Um he is. He was he was announced with the two other Klingon actors in December. And then whether that changed or I mean, we we still have not been given any kind of, uh, you know, reason for that. But it, it is what it is. He's he's playing another officer. He is listed. I mean, he was cast very, very early on and uh, he, he is listed uh, as being in quite a few episodes, uh, even if IMDb, the Internet Movie Database, is not to be believed. Um, and that is that's a step above uh, Matt's Wikipedia, which, <laughs> which he loves and I loathe. Um, and, and even then, not to be trusted. 
Well, Wikipedia, which references to a, uh, a British news website to give some more biographical background for Shahzad Latif, he is uh, of Pakistani, English, and Scottish descent. Uh, he studied at the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School. So, I mean, obviously somebody uh, non-white and somebody who, I, I don't know, I feel like in the insular British stage world, you have to give a little credit to anybody who's uh, looking to mix that up a little bit. Uh, and here we have him now on Discovery, adding to the uh, adding to the wonderful shades of diversity, and rounding out our Federation cast. Matt, we have uh, Mary Wiseman as Cadet Sylvia Tilly. Indeed, Pete, I know that uh, our listeners know that I have gone in as hashtag Team Tilly. Uh, this actress brings a particular sparkle to the role of uh, Cadet Tilly. Also, want to mention, Pete, that she called this podcast, quote, a dope podcast. So I'm feeling pretty uh, pretty awesome from that, <laughs> as should you. Um, I, I love that this uh, story through this character is bringing us somebody who is going to be new to the ship, new to things. Um, I know we kind of had that with Wesley and there's, you know, there's debate about Wesley even to this day, but I I think it's so enriching to a story to have somebody who doesn't have all the answers and somebody who isn't always sure what's going on, somebody who isn't sure in them, in themselves. And, um, hopefully she gets a ton of scream time and we can add to hashtag team Tilly. And then we have our Klingons, Matt, and, and never other than Worf have we had, um, a number of antagonistic, uh, you know, species aliens here um, at the start of a show. You know, the the big thing with Worf was, oh, we're going to put a Klingon on the bridge and he's one of the good guys. What? <gasps> Can't work, can it? Can't be compelling or or delve into that entire world. You think of how much development went on with the Klingons in that next generation Deep Space Nine era, the the Ronald D. Moore uh, Klingons that that just got so Shakespearean, uh, and here we have Chris Obi who is playing uh, Tukovma, uh, believed to be some kind of new um, messianic uh, Klingon leader, and then we've got his uh, his trusted. Uh, second, um, Laurel played by uh, Mary Chifa. Well, both of them bringing such passion to the role. I know Chris Obi, oftentimes he'll just tweet out a video he just made where he's talking about his enthusiasm and much love to the fans, and this is so fantastic. And there's just an energy to him, uh, which is absolutely wonderful. Uh, he, he, you mentioned Shakespearean stuff, Pete, he, uh, someone who has a, uh, a history with the Royal Shakespeare company. Um, and then you add to it, uh, Mary Chifo, who has brought her own enthusiasm to it. I mean, she was walking around the, uh, the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, taking pictures with people, just kind of breathing it all in. Um, I, I can't help but be, be reminded of my first Star Trek convention where I met, uh, Roxanne Dawson, who seemed to be a little overwhelmed on that Friday, Friday afternoon, uh, panel that was not super well attended. Voyager had been out maybe 12 of its what was that first season about 18 episodes 16 something like that 16 um, i think so it hadn't even completed its full season it was like there's a bunch of people out there this is a this is a new world Mary where Chief was the, that i'm interested uh somewhere in north jersey caucus so, somewhere around there 
I went to one in Boston uh, early on in the Voyager run, and uh, Robert Picardo was there. And um, talk about somebody who who just ate it up. Um, and and obviously, you know, it's going to vary from performers. But, uh, you know, both of our Klingon uh, cast members here, and obviously there are others who are playing Klingons as well, is believed to be quite a few, um, you know, have just embraced it in such a way. Um, you know, we'll see how much mustache twirling there is or or what have you. And this is heavy, heavy uh, prosthetics, not that the wharf and, you know, all the other, uh, Klingon prosthetics that we saw in the early to mid nineties weren't. Um, but there's just such a design aspect to the Klingons in this particular incarnation. And, and we are told that there'll be story dependent reasons as to why that is. I mean, you have to love that degree of detail. I know we talked about it uh, from some of that uh, Las Vegas coverage. The fact that they're designing some of these props in computers, 3D printing them to get in, an insane level of detail. I mean, the things in Star Trek that age the worst are the times when the fact that through most of its run throughout the various series, it hasn't been the big budget uh, success with a lot of money rolling on in. So it's kind of those cheaper moments where you go, oh, handheld camera there, that was not a good move. Or, oh, that's the weird sculpture in Worf's quarters that was also down on the planet last season. I remember it because it's it's got, you know, big, big <laughs> sphere. It's a big sphere chair. You know, things like that. You're going to have proper use, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, they're they're spending a ton of money on making these Klingons not just compelling, not just visually interesting, but what, what, what pricks up my ears is the fact that, to a certain degree, they were informed by some of this election stuff. And to be able to yeah. say, let's better understand the other side so that we can, we can reach common ground. I mean, that's Star Trek. It is. And then you bring in these two ships at the outset, effectively as characters, Matt. Um, we have the uh, Shenshu that... that looks a little bit more lived in and the, the very little of the discovery that we've seen, um, looks newer, uh, perhaps more modern. Um, and, uh, you know, there's been set visits and, and things like this, but to see them in action for the first time, you know, with enterprise being in four of the series, that we've had to this point and then you get into a space station and then you get into uh, Voyager um, to break two ships in at the start as effectively characters. There's there's always been this love affair with these ships. They, they are ladies. They are sailing vessels. Um, and I'm super excited to uh, to refamiliarize myself with early era federation spacecraft as we said at the top i mean we're not we're done uh, going over the the, the well-shorn path of you know should this have been set in the 1960s looking era this that the other I, I totally agree with you pete i'm so excited to see these ships i mean you you just think of the iconic design of classic trek's ship and then in my mind 
the Enterprise D becomes a home, not just to the people living there, but to we as viewers. I know there are some people, you know, who feel it hasn't aged wonderfully. To me, that's that's what the future is supposed to look like. But I'm ready to get this redefined. What does a what does a a naval destroyer transported to the 23rd century? What does that look like? What do the halls look like? The rooms, the this, the that. I cannot wait to explore it. And the fact that we've gotten some behind the scenes stuff. All officially approved, uh, but some of it shared on Twitter, you know, like uh, uh, view from the turbo lift of, of a schematic of the vessel and whatnot. To know that we're on a slightly smaller ship, I think that that almost works better. And it, frankly, it's something that they figured out in the course of, uh, you know, fr from uh, Next Generation with the giant ship to Deep Space Nine, big set, but slightly smaller playground, uh, Voyager even smaller, Enterprise even smaller. Um, it's a place that can feel more lived in because you're able to see more of it. And this isn't even taking into consideration. We just don't know what the situation is with the Klingon vessels. And they seem to be far more ornate than we've ever seen. There's, there's some idea of Klingon royalty or uh, religion, both uh, going on with these massive sets um, that were indeed part of that way out ahead uh, production lead that they gave them up in Toronto. And uh, to, to finally see what's going on in them on top of the effects, and, and that's the thing that nearly every piece of reaction has, has praised. These are feature quality effects. Well, it just adds to the excitement of it all, Pete. Now we're going to head into some uh, some undiscovered country, at least for me. I know that the first four episode titles have been released. Um, I couldn't help but see the first one, which we will discuss in a moment. I genuinely do not know uh, the other three, so... You know, I try and be as spoiler-free as possible, but Pete, this is a show that they've put on their white gloves, they have ran it along, along the top of the uh, the shelf there, there's nothing getting out that they don't want to get out, I'm willing to discuss these four episodes and, you know, be potentially spoiled for, you know, a show that ultimately we don't know a lot about its configuration, how much time on the Shenzhou, when do we get to the Discovery, who's going to be a beloved character who dies first, so on and so forth, so Pete, what is the name of the first episode? That would be, and I love it, the Vulcan Hello. And I just love the ideas that it kind of conjures there. You know, uh, we, we've, we've done Marvel. We had the spies goodbye. Um, the, the, the Vulcan Hello here, if I'm going to speculate, you, you think of like, uh, you know, hand gestures, somebody maybe giving you the the, the Canadian uh, bird or something like that. Uh, to me, the Vulcan hello would be, uh, you know, Inquisition would would be looking into something. We know that um, Burnham uh, has uh, a period of time she spent on Vulcan. Indeed, the character bio explains she was the first human ever admitted to the uh, Vulcan Science Academy. So we know that she's going to come across Klingons. We know that it's not going to go well initially. Um, and rather than the, the Federation warmongering, what more interesting way to set off a conflict than for her to come across some vessel, to come across some personnel, and to inquisitively check it out and to have it gloriously blow back on her. 
I hope even that they kind of uh, they, they tease out saying the phrase the Vulcan hello. I know that that sometimes is you know it's sport you know oh wait for them to say the title of the movie in the movie, but um, I mean to kind of get that you know oh oh we're going to get the Vulcan hello got to be watch out for the Vulcan hello and then finally <laughs> find out what it is whether it is some kind of you know <laughs> the process by which these these cool and arrogant people in the Vulcan they can rake you over the coals or how well, there is consider no hello. It, consider what the Vulcan hello is too. It's it's the salute. And I think, you know, we mentioned before the Canadian bird or whatever, the Jersey salute. And around here, that's the finger. Um, so the, to me, the Vulcan hello is, is just this glorious double entendre of, you know, maybe it's live long and prosper. Maybe it's, you know, I'm, I'm going to check it out and, and look you over and see what's what. But we know it it's obviously going to start everything off. So that will be the episode which brings back to, uh, to broadcast TV, Star Trek, and perhaps the last episode <laughs> of Star Trek to be on broadcast TV as we move into the new world of, uh, of how we consume TV. Pete, what is episode 102 entitled? If you are going to roll out a model where you want people um, headed to your pay service, uh, immediately after this is clearly that type of title. So episode 102 is called battle at the binary stars. And the moment I saw that it made me think of battle of the network stars. <laughs> and I think it's fitting because they will no longer be network stars, um, after, uh, with that episode, uh, so again, it just does that that glorious uh, double service. Apart from the fact that it's teasing, um, you know, uh, uh, warfare, which again I I think has always been um, something that people have been attracted to, particularly the submarine style warfare. You think of Wrath of Khan, um, and and a lot of the movies have gone for that kind of red meat, but it's it's amazing, and you know we talk. On, on Thursday, September 21st here, the night that Wrath of Khan, the special edition, is re-re-released in theaters. And, you know, yes, the, the warfare in that movie is is great, but it it's, it's put even greater. Uh, it's elevated even higher by the human interaction. And uh, really looking forward to what that's going to bring in their first streaming episode. I think of how uh, battles on Star Trek improved from uh, classic Trek, Next Generation, and some of, particularly by Deep Space Nine, just some of those all-out insane battles. Um, here we are in a new era of visual effects, and you know, Federation versus Klingon versus high stakes. You know, bring it on! Absolutely. The third episode, Matt, is entitled "Context Is for Kings." And if this isn't, you know, the, the heavy Klingon episode, okay, we, we will have looked uh, through primarily, I'm sure, the lens of the Federation other than interacting with uh, the Klingons for the first time. We know that there is going to be this very heavy involved Klingon storyline, and it seems in the third one we're really going to delve into it. It's a mysterious title. I don't know quite what to make of it. The first two, I mean, particularly with the word Vulcan in the first one, but the first two kind of smack as so sci-fi. This is a little bit more mysterious, and I like that. 
And then the fourth one, Matt, just, you know, goes for broke. Uh, episode four is named The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. Wow. First of all, that is a huge title. Because I was like, ooh, The Butcher's Knife. That's good. The that's Butcher's two, Knife. That's a two-decker, man. That that thing is <laughs> is is going to go across two lines on, on the screen. And, you know, everything fresh with this new series, you, you look back at, at what was, um, you know, a golden age, I, I guess, of all that Star Trek that took place between uh, 1987 and 2005. You had a show on the air for um, 17 straight years. Um, you had a period of time from 1992 until 1999 that you always had two on the air and obviously it's all the same production company uh albeit they were on different channels but the product as far as television presentation with its titles with the fonts with everything was the same and i'm interested how much they'll look like that and how much it's going to be its own new thing well, I think that you, you, you tip towards the future a little bit. I can only imagine, uh, even without some of, the, uh, some of the rumors of, you know, Nicholas Myers off working on a, on a con-related show and this and that, I can only imagine that their hope is if this is successful and if this is what's driving CBS All Access subscriptions for the time being until something that's non-Star Trek comes along, the solution is more Star Trek. It's been done once before, done to great success. Um, that's got to be one of the plans, which, you know, I appreciate that they're that they're being coy about this and being quiet about it because there's nothing worse than, you know, having all right. Well, Peter, you ready for the the King Kong Godzilla universe in which oh the new King Kong movie from last summer did only okay. Well, cancel the universe. Let's take one show at a time, one episode at a time. I'm quite frankly happy one week at a time, not just because we podcast. And, and frankly, it's easier one week at a time versus doing two or three a week. But we get to have the conversation. We get to talk about these episodes, luxuriate in these episodes. It's not fast food. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be Thanksgiving dinner every Sunday. <laughs> well, speaking of schedule, Matt, and, and Sunday dinner, why don't we talk a little bit about our planned schedule here as far as bringing our listeners our analysis of these episodes? Certainly, for the premiere night, uh, we're going to be uh, podcasting that first episode as soon as the broadcast has ended. Um, and Pete, again, personal goal here, and we'll see if you know if, if football delays impact that. But my goal is to have our podcast out before the official after show gets their show out. Um, the next night, we will put out episode 102, uh, having watched that on CBS All Access. Pete, where do things go from there? Well, from there, Matt, uh, again, depending on um, the posting to CBS All Access, uh, we are going to be uh, getting them every Sunday. Um, they've said 830, which is a kind of a weird time to put it out. Um, and uh, we will consume them and then we're going to be getting them to you just as soon as possible uh i would circle definitely by the end of uh mondays if not a little bit sooner 
Um, you know, still trying to work out how that schedule is going to work. But that that first one, we're going to be amped and ready and get that, uh, you know, to you that night, this Sunday. And then you'll have uh, our analysis of episode two, a Battle at the Binary Stars, um, the very next day on uh, Monday the 25th. So if you're outside the United States, conceivably, you'll get I would imagine they're going to give them both of those episodes, right? I believe so. Yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. let's hope. So you, you watch that and you don't listen ahead of time or do listen ahead of time. If you're, you know, Oh like man, the, Pete, they, they killed everyone. <laughs> and then it just went to black for, for 40 minutes. And then, uh, you know, we'll be, we'll be there for you. And certainly, uh, you know, let us know what you thought, uh, you know, ask us questions, give us comments. Um, you know, we, we certainly have, you know, loved the amount of new interaction from our core audience that, you know, our return to Star Trek as as longtime Star Trek guys has brought us. And, uh, you know, let others know, uh, you know, you, you don't have to just have that uh, after Trek show that we still don't know the host of, um, you know, you know, your hosts right here. And, uh, you know, uh, we've been praised on our listener interaction. And, and that is of anything that might change, that is the last thing that will change for this podcast. Absolutely. No pod fading here as we enter what seriously no joke is probably at least two years, maybe two and a half years of consecutive weekly episodes on something. Sometimes, goodness knows, dear listeners, sometimes it's two a week or three a week, depending on on what the property is. But, you know, we are nothing if not consistent and uh, this is just going to be a blast. I'm really, I'm really psyched for it. Pete, how can people be in touch with you as they share their thoughts? I know we're going to be live tweeting the broadcast episode. Yes. But how can people be in touch with you with their Star Trek Discovery thoughts? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-9466. Matt, how... <laughs> portentous is that number as i open up my twitter here uh 66 uh followers can't be wrong i am personally on twitter as looking back lost if you want to be in touch with fantastic geek leave a comment at fantasticgeek.com send an email to fantasticgeek at gmail.com you can find us under the name fantastic geek on twitter and of course instagram as well a lot of great star trek stuff coming up as we visit new york comic-con particularly the star trek discovery panel so uh it's a great time to be uh, visiting us over on instagram but pete there's more there's the big one. There's Facebook. And again, you know, the number of uh, Facebook groups for Star Trek, for Star Trek Discovery. Uh, so maybe you find yourself in, in one of those. You like us on Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek. Uh, you'll not only be in touch with our Star Trek sides, which are multifaceted. Uh, not just Discovery. We've got uh, Star Trek Essential episodes that we've done in the past and will continue to do during uh, whatever lulls we ever have again. <laughs> <laughs> also podcasting every TV show in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. If you're listening to this on the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek feed, we will be back Sunday night to talk Star Trek Discovery. If you're listening to this on the feed for Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, we'll be back on Sunday talking more Star Trek Discovery. Pete, it finally is, here we are on the cusp. It's probably less than 100 hours at this point. I cannot wait. 
it's so exciting to finally be there. I, I just wish we could push play right now. Um, it was disappointing to not be able to go to the premiere, but again, just the, the scheduling did not allow it. And, and we were hoping against hope that there'd be some kind of premiere event a little closer to our backyard in, in New Jersey. Uh, that being said, uh, dear listener, I think you're going to find uh, both our enthusiasm and uh, our analysis worth your time. Well, with that, Pete, I will say Yonatu to all our listeners and give you the final word. Engage.